This hour of the Jason Rancho is brought to you by You Build It. Lots of news is happening all around the world and right here at home. So let's find out what's trending. What's trending? You can't make this up. Needle exchange programs from Public Health of Seattle and King County, they hand out needles to any drug addict who asks. Any. And that includes minors, no matter their age. They will even hand deliver it to them at their home or in a public parking lot. I have learned that the County Needle Exchange Program, they don't even have written rules for when staff interact with minors. All of this has come to light thanks to a group of community activists in federal way who have stepped up and shined a huge spotlight on one particular program called the South County Outreach Referral and Exchange, SCORE, a very unfortunately titled group name for an organization that's supposed to help people who are addicted. But instead, they're helping them score drugs, essentially, because they're giving them the tools they need to continue their dangerous and deadly addiction. SCORE is a taxpayer-funded needle exchange program, except it doesn't actually require any exchange. Usually, you have people who hand in dirty needles, and in exchange, they get clean ones. The purpose of this is to at least get the dirty needles off of the streets, because otherwise they end up in parks, in alleyways, on sidewalks. Kids find them. Dogs find them. Human beings will step on them and get infected, potentially. But they stopped doing that. They stopped doing that a long time ago in this county, in this state. In this case, SCORE staff members drive a van to private residences, to park and ride parking lots, to public locations all across King County. And there, addicts will show up and pick up clean needles to further their drug addiction. Anyone who asks for supplies will get enough to feed their addiction for up to a month. According to a spokesperson who spoke to me via email, she said, historically, the program is operated as one of the one for one exchange, but has always made sure that people coming into exchange without any supplies left with what they need to be safe. When COVID hit our community, we transitioned to a model that minimizes the time someone needs to be out in public, reducing their risk as well as staff risk to exposure of COVID-19. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. We work with people to get a sense of what they need to stay safe for two to three weeks. As the score van made more frequent stops in federal way, without, by the way, the city's consent or its knowledge, some activists in the community took notice. Ken was on the show last week. He noticed an uptick in these visits alongside others. Now, public health says SCORE only visits federal way about two times a week. But a lot of activists say, "Mm, that's a little low. And so Ken and these other activists started a local Facebook group where they've been with one for a while. And they decided, you know, let's investigate this. Let's see what's going on. And so Ken on the show said he followed one of the vans just to understand how the program operates. And he saw people picking up their supplies, and almost immediately shooting up. Programs handed out an average of 137,910 syringes per month. 
That's a lot of syringes. Many of the people that get them are homeless. And since SCORE doesn't require that the addicts actually return the dirty needles, many are littering parks. Now, Ken wasn't the only one who witnessed some of the drug use. Grace is another local activist, and she was on with our friend Dory Monson on Cairo Radio. She witnessed a teen she thought was about 16 years old pick up the needles and then get high. Yeah, that was a boy. He, uh, oh. he went up to the van, got his needles, and then he walked off to the side of the parking lot, and then he proceeded to shoot up. And I think if people actually watched something like that in progress, they would think twice about whether this program is actually helping or aiding people and supporting them with their addiction, which is really sad. I think Grace is 100% correct. If people knew what was going on, they would be outraged. They wouldn't want this to continue. So I need your help in making sure people know what's going on. Because I got public health to confirm that SCORE does not check IDs for syringe supplies at any point. They have no written policy around minors of any age. The spokesperson said, we do not have a policy that states age requirements for exchange, so I can't say that there hasn't been or will not be a situation where a minor exchanges syringes. But what's worse, I asked them to explain to me what it would be like if someone who was very clearly, visibly underage, how would it work? What would the staff do? And she told me staff would likely use their experience to ensure that the teen does not feel stigmatized, putting them at higher risk for behaviors that are dangerous, including risk of infection and overdose. Importantly, given the increase in fatal overdoses impacting youth, the staff would likely engage the young person in discussions about their use and how to stay safe, including naloxone. For the staff, front of mind would be ensuring the young person knows that there are trusted people and programs available to help. If, in the judgment of the provider, they felt that exchange of syringes might help build trust that would ultimately reduce harmful impacts for that young person and increase likelihood that the teen would return to get support, then yes, the provider may decide that exchanging syringes is the best approach. But it turns out, while they pass out needles, they acknowledge fiction. They don't proactively offer advice. They admit that it's generally client-driven. If this outrages you, understand it's likely happening in your community. If you live in King County and you're listening to me right now, SCORE might be making visits to the park and ride nearby. And the reason why people don't know about this is because they do it in nondescript vans. Grace and Ken and other community activists in Federal Way, guess what? They put enough attention on this. They, at least for now, have stopped it. The program has stopped. Because the city found out about it. They didn't want this to happen. So King County put an end to this program in Federal Way, at least for the time being. That's what attention does. That's what happens when people step up and get involved. That's what it's going to take if we want to return to any semblance of normalcy in this region. 
This is what you need to do if you want to take back your city. Shine a spotlight. Make phone calls. Email. Get a little bit more involved. And in a lot of ways, all you have to do is just simply tweet out this information. Post it on Facebook or LinkedIn. Email it to friends and family. Put it on your parlor or Instagram. I've got photos of how this all went down. I've got all of the details. All you have to do is text the keyword rants, R-A-N-T-Z, to 1-800-465-8770. And I'm going to send you a link to the story, not just for you to read, but for you to do something with it. Post it. Tell your friends and family members to post it. Make sure you're contacting King County Public Health. Make sure you're contacting your mayor or your city council member. To say, if this is happening in your neighborhood, you want it to end because we all understand that this is just going to kill people. It is not safe to shoot up. It's safer to use a clean needle versus a dirty needle. That is true. Public health notes rightly that drug injection is a leading driver, for example, of hepatitis C. It is safer, but not safe. This is part of what's called a harm reduction model. A few years ago, when the idea of heroin injection sites was promoted, it was all about this is how you get people treatment. They stopped saying that. They changed it to this is how you get people to not die of different diseases and transmit different diseases. But they still end up dying of overdoses. We've had 116 people in King County alone die of a drug overdose this quarter and that's not counting the 42 deaths listed drugs as a possible or excuse me a probable cause of death that's not yet counted this is not harm reduction it's harmful if they had clear and convincing data showing that this model actually helped get addicts treatment I would reconsider my opposition to this I might feel uncomfortable thinking, okay, maybe we should be giving needles to addicts. I would 100% feel uncomfortable taking that position. But if you were to come back and say, look, Jason, look at the data. This got 29% of the addicts clean and sober long term. It only took a year and a half, whatever it was. I will look at that data and then I will make a judgment call. They don't have that data at all. Not even a little bit. That's why they don't tell you about that data. If they had it, they would be using it to convince you that this is right. So all this is, is handing out needles. If you're okay with needles being handed out to kids, do nothing. Sit there, stay silent, don't get activated. If you do not think that handing out syringes to children is appropriate, I need you to text the keyword RANTS, R-A-N-T-Z, to 1-800-465-8770. Or head on over to my blog at KTTH.com and start spreading this story around. Text RANTS, R-A-N-T-Z, to 1-800-465-8770. Find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Jason Rants. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? The sports ball. So, Gonzaga played UCLA. Yeah, exactly, UCLA. Good job on pronouncing Gonzaga right. People usually yeah, it's not Gonzaga. don't, and then people Gonzaga. get all pompous out here. It's Gonzaga. Yes. So they were undefeated in the Final Four tournament. 
Just on the whole year, they're undefeated. Well, I'm, I'm oh, setting sorry, it up building? for a joke, you dummy. Oh, I'm sorry. Because everyone un- who got to the... F- where they got were undefeated, right? No. I mean, like regular season. No, I meant within the final. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's gotcha. Joke. Okay. Uh, but they, before that, yes, you were correct. The person who stepped on my joke. Um, they Crushed were. It. They are undefeated. They're a very good team. Yes. They end up playing UCLA over the weekend in the semifinals. Yes. And it went into overtime. And with like three seconds left or four seconds left, UCLA ended up tying it in overtime. It was some, what was it, 90-90 or something like that? Well, right. yeah, I know yeah. what I'm doing. Look at you go. So with three seconds left, Gonzaga ends up scoring an insane, insane, insane three-pointer thanks to Jalen Suggs. Again with the ball in his hands. In the paint. Floater. Short. Got it back. Ties it with three. Gonzaga has time to do something. Sucks for the win. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That was CBS's Jim Nance and Bill Rafferty. That was insanity. That was a great game. That was so good from start here, to finish. Here is the question. Because I don't know Suggs. And he, of course, won't answer this honestly. Was that an intentional like shot shot or was that luck? No, that, that was a quality shot. Was it a quality shot or was it luck? Range is getting very Because he was these days. almost at... The halfway point of the yeah that was that court. was about a forty footer and <laughs> the way that the NBA is moving with like Damian Lillard being able to take these forty footers consistently that's where all these younger guys are getting it from that's a shot that he takes occasionally mm-hmm. during practice and he hits I mean you saw when he's running off the court he kind of knows he's got a good feeling he knew it he, was in yeah he's got a good feeling off the palm it, it looked like it was intentional but of course when there is a nanosecond left on the clock and you take any shot. No matter where you're taking it from, it's always going to come off as if you did it at the last minute because you were desperate to try to get that that win. Either way, that was insane. Now, you also pulled, because that was the TV, uh, CBS TV feed. Yes. You also pulled a radio feed. Yes, I pulled the radio call from Gonzaga. Okay. Will this be better than TV? Because if it's not, I don't want to diss my radio friends. It will be better than the TV call, yes. Because are these kids? No, these are I, the color commentator is Adam Morrison, who was Gonzaga's star child who lost to UCLA famously 15 years ago. I know, and I was know. crying on the court afterwards, yeah, I know, and I had know. pictures everywhere. Yeah, so there's kind of a good backstory with Adam Morrison okay. on this call. Is he going to cry? Hey. To the right side of the floor, defended by Kispert now, drives, wow, leans wow, in, wow. the runner, wow. comes up short, choosing the rebounds and puts it in. We're tied at 90. Three seconds left. Here's Suggs the other way, pull up, three for the win. Yes! Yes! Okay. Nope, nope, the championship okay, game! He from 40 at the buzzer! Yes! The Bulldogs! Wow! Play for a national championship! That's awesome. So now they play Baylor. Play Baylor tonight. tonight Sick Bears. 620. I'll be watching every moment. Will you? No. 
didn't think he would be. Wow, I'm in a curb your enthusiasm season. I'm back in season four. I'm just going through that. Do you want me to watch you like, nah, when there's like care. three minutes left in the game no. so you can just turn it no. on for I what people no say is the good part? I'm writing some stuff, breaking some news. Come on. I've got I've got too much real stuff to do. I was I was momentarily proud of Washington. Because it is kind of interesting when you have a team that's from your home state or your hometown, whatever it happens to be, and they do well, you do get this weird sense of pride even when you have no real connection. I have no connection to Gonzaga. I, I have no connection to the Final Four. My interest in the Final Four is nil going into this. And I saw that that shot and I tweeted it, which goes to tell you how impressed I was. That is I've saying got, a lot. I've got a lot of followers. And I'm pretty consistent in mostly talking about politics. And every once in a while, you know, I'll throw in a diss about, like, how sucky the Godzilla versus Kong movie was. Because it was just awful. Like, every single movie in that stupid series. Just the worst. Just garbage. It's like King 5 was a movie. That's <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong. That's how bad it was. So I tweeted that out, and I was very impressed. And in... Doing so, I got sort of caught in a bunch of tweets of Final Four and other sports-related videos. And I found a video from the uh, women's basketball coach of the Wildcats in Arizona, Adia Barnes. She is not apologizing for a viral video, of which I can't find. You haven't seen the video? I googled this, and I have not seen the video. All I know is that I think an F-bomb was used and a middle finger. So what? Indeed. explain what happened, and then we'll play her audio. They were in a huddle afterwards. She kind of was giving her team a pep talk, saying nobody expected us to be here, bleep all the haters, and threw up a middle finger with it. And the cameras caught it very uh, explicitly. Was anyone actually calling for her to apologize? Uh, no, not, okay. that I, not that I know of. So let us hear her make a hero out of herself. I don't try to be someone else. I um, I don't know. I'm just myself. I don't really think of like, it's not, there is no strategy to it. There isn't no um, like plan to be a certain way. It's just, I just do what I feel, I guess, which is good and bad like because it. he saw at the end of the game, I honestly had a moment with my team and I thought it was like a more intimate huddle. And I said to my team something that I truly felt and I know they felt, um, and it just like appeared different on TV, but I'm not apologizing for it because I don't feel like I need to apologize. Yeah. No, no one's asking you to apologize. It's what I felt with my team at the moment. Okay. Um, and it's, I wouldn't take it back. Um, we've gone to war together. We look around the room and we looked around the circle. We believe in each other. So I I'm in those moments, and that's how I am, so I don't apologize for doing that, but um, I'm just me, yeah, no one asked you to, to lady. be me. Yeah, okay. No, no. no one asked you to apologize. Maybe that's why they lost to Stanford. If yeah. she would have apologized, maybe maybe they will have won maybe their next Maybe if she wasn't such a bad coach. Focus more on viral moments. How about that? You know who gets inspired and likes clips like this? Stupid people. Who are like, yeah, she's a, a strong, independent woman who's standing up for... For her, her personality. This is her personality. Uh, yeah, n- no one said anything. Hey, she gets protection in these parts. She was a Seattle Storm legend. I, I don't care. I'm just saying <laughs> she did not. No one was outraged by this. The, the, when I originally, because remember, I heard this all in reverse. I still haven't seen the actual viral video. I saw this thinking, what did she say? What word did <laughs> she use? How bad could it have been? Because someone said the F word, like the that F word, like the slur she used, and she's not a. Oh, okay. Let's let's look into that. No, 
She just said the F word and then doesn't want to apologize, even though literally no one say, uh, this is this is a real coach. Okay, yeah, we got it. Hero. Welcome back to the Jason Rancho on AM 770, KTTH and 94.5 FM on the Greater East Side. A national coalition of Asian American advocacy groups all across the country called on the Biden administration to actually put some action to the words that they're using to claim their support for Asian Americans. Amongst their demands is that they reinstate the lawsuit against Yale University after they were accused of discriminating against Asian American applicants. The Biden administration dropped the case. They want the administration to stop only condemning white people who attack Asian Americans because we've seen lots of black suspects who are almost never called out and they want more law enforcement involvement. Joining me on the line is Khan Chu. He is the director of Washington Asians for Equality. Khan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. So if you could, just sort of big picture, why did you guys decide to get together and make these demands? Well, yeah, we, we've been always frustrated seeing so many violence, discriminations against Asian Americans. It's been long time. It's, it's not just the last few years. I mean, this is a, and then all of a sudden, I mean, this is culminated like recently and with, uh, news media reporting. So, and then lots of, government officials, federal, state, and then they did come out and then condemn the violence and condemn the discrimination. Um, But what we are focusing on is the action part. So, I mean, we are just tired of hearing, you know, the condemnation, just the words. Mm -hmm. We want actions. So that's why we lift the, the, you know, the number one item is this, uh, this restating the, the lawsuit against Yale University. This is a basically this is a commonly practiced the racist practice against uh, try to reduce the number of Asian American students in educational systems. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I mean it's a well known fact. So and then. Well, let, let, let's talk a little bit about that, just because it, it kind of drives me nuts. And I've been talking about this issue on this show for years, not just recently. And I come uh-huh. at it from a similar position as you, because as a Jew, Jews are, are facing the same issue, I think. We are treated, whether we're talking about Jewish Americans or Asian Americans, we're simply treated as white people. We have privilege because we do well in certain areas. And so they will completely dismiss anything that that they used to afford a minority group because we're just doing too well. And it's kind of maddening. Right. Yeah. This is basically the end of the system is punish the performance. This, this is not what, what, what we see as American dream is for. Well, and to that end, it does seem like the reason why our different groups, albeit different groups, but we're still minorities. The reason why I have said that they stop treating us like minorities is because it sort of slaps back at the idea that this country has been founded in white supremacy, that institutionalized bigotry is absolutely everywhere. Do you believe that that might be behind why Asian Americans are 
for the most part by the left, just kind of dismissed because of their their you know quote unquote privilege. Yeah, I mean this. I, I guess the the performance of Asian Americans uh, doesn't fit well with with, with some of their narratives. Yeah. So all of a sudden they they say, "Wow, you, you, you perform well," but but this is a you know you, you you cannot simply punish someone that's performing well i mean everybody has to be individually treated equally you know we are created equal individually and then we have constitution protection against uh treating people unequally so this is a not just against the law i mean it's a it's it's also Immoral. A hundred percent. If you're just joining us, we are talking with Khan Chu. He's the director of the Washington Asians for Equality Group. He is amongst this group is amongst a national coalition of Asian-American advocacy groups calling on the Biden administration, not just talk about their sudden interest in defending Asian-Americans against perceived and actual hate crimes in this country, but maybe stop treating them differently and discriminating against them. Now, one of your calls is to have the Biden administration and perhaps Kamala Harris, the vice president, get the law enforcement agencies a little bit more involved in protecting the Asian American community. And what I found curious in that, once it was clear that a lot of the higher profile acts of violence against Asian Americans in the Bay Area, once it became clear that the suspects were black, all of a sudden I saw a different group saying we should not respond to this by over-policing. We should respond to this by understanding the root causes of the hate. Do, do you? How do you react to that? Well, that's the problem. I mean, this country is founded on rule of law. So the criminal responded if the if they see the government is weak on crimes, so they respond with more crimes. So we that's why we call on the government to, to you know, you basically all perpetrators of the violent attacks must be condemned, not only condemned, also prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And that that's what it should be. And then if you're weak on the crime, and then the crime will increase. So that that that's just the the natural, I yeah. mean, the human natural. Uh, obviously. I mean, Obviously, the Asian American community in this country is vast. It's not easy to just simply say Asian Americans because they're Chinese Americans, there are Korean Americans. Right. Like, there's lots of different groups Pretty within diverse. this. Yeah, it's very, very diverse. And so, yes. have, have you noticed any kind of consensus starting to form around some of these issues? Yeah, I mean, pretty much uh, within Asian Americans community, I mean, the consensus is, uh, like, the rule of law, the law and order will benefit Asian-American community overall. Because, first of all, we, Asian-American community has, uh, most of, there's many of them new immigrants, many of them elderly, and they, I mean, so 
definitely this, we as a group, will benefit a lot from law and order. When, when a society has no law order and there's no guarantee of safety, that, that's, that's going to be, as a minority group, will be severely impacted. Do you think that on a local level, the state legislature understands your issues? Oh, yes. Oh, well, uh, we, in fact, recently, just last week, we actually issued a list of action demand to a local government, mm-hmm. to our state legislatures. So it's, a uh, yeah, for state legislatures, we currently, we are watching the state legislatures still in the session. They're... There, there are a number of equity bills. We basically we want the state legislature to list Asians in those equity bills, like the Senate Bill 5044, 5227, 5298, 5194. Basically, we we just ask the the legislatures to list the Asians as a group that has suffered from systemic racism, and so far. Uh, they have not been listening. So I thought this is a good opportunity for them to show they truly, uh, they're truly inclusive. They're truly, they, they truly care about Asian Americans suffering. Do you think they do? Do you think they're truly inclusive? Well, that, that will have to be demonstrated by their action. I mean, yeah. not just the rhetorics. I mean, we, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we heard of enough rhetorics. So we just need to see the actions. And then, and then in fact, there's a, there's a Senate bill, 5264, was introduced to, to, uh, to commemorate the contributions of American, Asian American to, in our state and the country. And that bill was left to die in the Senate floor uh, without getting vote. So we just call for the legislature to, I mean, find a way, see if the legislature can do something to revive that bill. Because this is, this is a crucial moment for the legislature to demonstrate that they do mm. care Asian Americans' contribution to this state, and not just contribution, contribution and suffering to this state, in this state. Yeah. And also, in the meantime, like, we want the, the governor, governor to, to actually launch and fund and launch statewide campaign to educate the public, you know, to, to actually combat the, the ingrained notion that Asian Americans is a forever foreigner. So that's what that's the root of the, lots of discriminations against Asians. Because lots of you know, you know, looking at the face, ordinary people without education, they they always thought Asian Americans as kind of a stereotypes of a forever foreigner. Hmm. That that has to stop. Well, there you go. We've been talking with Khan Chu, and I certainly agree on that last point. He's the director of the Washington Asians for Equality Group. Their website is waasiansforequality.org, wa, W-A, Asians, the number four, equality.org, waasiansforequality.org. Khan, thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you, Jason. Absolutely. You're listening to the Jason Ranch Show. Welcome back to the Jason Rants Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You know, I actually don't enjoy laughing at people who suffer. I laugh at people when they fall, <laughs> but are okay. What about that time you saw that thing on Twitter and you sent it to me because you saw somebody suffering and you said, hey, look how funny this is. <laughs> this was an exception. And I think this goes into the category of because of who it was. But generally speaking, if I'm being honest, I don't like to laugh at people who legitimately suffer. In this case, I made a small exception, mostly because when I started to laugh, I didn't realize how how serious it was. So it happened in Midtown Manhattan, where a protester in Black Block tried to scale the side of a Chase Bank in his backpack during this anti-capitalist protest that was going on. He had a whole bunch of black spray paint for what I'm going to just simply assume was not going to be used to, you know, plaster some sort of anti-capitalist or Antifa message on the bank at all. That's my guess. I think he it was a coincidence. Who among us hasn't walked around with lots of black spray paint while wearing black block also scaling the side of a bank during an anti-capitalist protest. So, obviously, he, his intention was good. I mean, what are Saturdays for? Am I right? Yeah. Am I right? So, it did not end well for him. He got... How high up do you think he got? Because it didn't even actually seem like he got that high. So, I would say maybe three feet higher than... The top of the door. Okay, doors are maybe seven, eight feet. Ish. So 10 to 11 feet. Right, ish. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe 12. Maybe 12. And he was just about to get onto the, like the, it's, it wasn't an awning per se, but the piece of the building that was on top of the the uh, the doorway that would have allowed him to stand up and, and chant to the crowd and spray paint to his heart's content. Didn't quite make it. He ended up falling. And he landed right on his sort of hip, right? Just bam. And I got to say, it looked so incredibly painful. It was all caught on tape. The post-millennial has identified him as 32-year-old Kevin Clark. His sister has spoken out about what happened, but I thought we'd play a, a short clip first of the aftermath. So he's there laying on the ground. He's not moving. What happened? <laughs> what hurts? Everything. His hip? Yeah. What were you doing? He <laughs> fell. from where? He fell on his hip. He fell on his hip? The thing about New Yorkers, I can't tell if they're being sarcastic and rude or they're being legitimate in their questioning. Like, what happened? No, it's got to be rude. There's no way that that's They're legit. all rude. All New Yorkers sound rude. He broke, he shattered his pelvis, and he broke his elbow. His sister said he won't be able to move for several months. 
Now, we're not entirely sure what his message was going to be, but the post-millennial says he appeared to be protesting against capitalism. His sister claimed that he was, in fact, a business owner himself and was likely there with the group Extinction Rebellion to fight climate change. He ended up getting charged with reckless endangerment and is currently handcuffed to a hospital bed. (laughs) He's not going anywhere. Why is he handcuffed? Dude can't move. He shattered his pelvis, man. <laughs> Do you think he should get off from a, uh, a any sort of charge here, given that he literally shattered his pelvis? Like that's enough of a sentence? Doesn't that feel like, and I could be wrong, but doesn't that feel like of all the disincentives to not do that again, a shattered pelvis and a broken elbow? As long as that's going to make him never want to scale that's a Chase point. Bank don't again. Don't you think that would be a dis- disincentive? I mean, I don't know if it's enough. I feel like this guy might be back climbing Chase Banks in, you know, maybe 12 months, 18 months. After, you know, a lot of, oh, and I mean a lot of PT. <laughs> like, a lot. And he's going to ask his physical therapist, so can I climb the side <laughs> of Manhattan buildings right now like Spider-Man? <laughs> Doctor comes in and says, it's not looking so good. But will I ever be able to scale a side of a bank again? No, son, I don't think it's possible. (laughs) And he just wept. It's the Jason Ranch Show.